everyone. Thank you for listening to LA Theater Bites. I'm Matthew Robinson. And today I have playwright and director Sydney A. Marion on the show, uh, coming from New York. Speaking of <laughs> New York at uh, the White Horse uh, Theater. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Now, uh, obviously, for people who may be a little unfamiliar with your work, can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Well, I'm a New York-based artist. I started primarily as a director, then I got into producing. In fact, the White Horse Theater Company actually started. It was actually founded by, uh, co-founded by Rod Spicer, who's an LA-based artist. So that's so we've sort of in recent years started to become bicoastal in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, then I got into playwriting a few years back. This is my second piece that I've done. I actually had another piece called You Are Perfect, uh, inspired and based on the life of Susan Atkins, the Manson family member. And mm-hmm. we took that out to Hollywood after we did it in New York and Toronto and had a successful short little run a couple of years ago. Um, so we really liked we really liked the, the sort of the L.A. response, um, you know, to the work. And I feel like a lot of what I'm writing about has to do with Los Angeles for some reason. I'm very <laughs> interested in L.A., Stories, particularly about murders and things that took place up in Benedict Canyon. So the second piece also is a very, you know, a Hollywood L.A. story. So it just seemed natural to bring this out there as well. Um, so we're really excited to be doing that. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, you know, maybe I'm as a someone who lives in L.A., maybe I'm less excited about the L.A. murder part because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that happens here. Right, right, right. <laughs> L.A. is a fascinating town. I mean, the drama and the intrigue behind some of these 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 personalities is is quite, quite intriguing. So um, particularly that one area of L.A., I mean, it's kind of mm-hmm. to me, it was just baffling that, you know, two murders, uh, very intriguing murders took place within like, you know, a few minutes of each other on the same road, same canyon. Um, I didn't even really know that when I got interested in the second story, the story that's the subject of this piece. I, I didn't realize that at first. And when I figured that out, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, um, this is just too weird. You know, I mean, what, what, what is going on? So, so but they're yeah. all scouting mm-hmm. that area out. They're like, this seems like a good <laughs> place for murder. You know? I, I don't, I think the canyon's haunted. I think there must be something wrong with that canyon i mean it's it's just a, not, i wouldn't i wouldn't live there do you, do you think that ghosts or like murders or like evil spirits treat areas kind of like starbucks and coffee shops do like you know, big it's, starbucks it's, you know? i'm i'm it's possible i don't know too much about the you know the, the the souls of the dead and how they haunt i mean there's people who study this stuff you know but but i do think there's something there's something there's a curse or something over that canyon because for for, for two incidents like that to have happened like you know so close to each other and be be you know the subject of so much you know stories and drama not knowing what really happened and so popular in the American culture and the, you know the psyche there's there's something going on there so I keep getting pulled as a writer toward that canyon for some reason um <laughs> I've taken two research trips out to LA where I've you know gone and explored both of those locations and uh Interestingly enough, the one that this piece is, is you know, inspired by the, the the murder of Susan Berman, her home is still sitting there just practically exactly as it was, you know, 20, 22 years ago when she was murdered. Oh, that's um, spooky. Yeah, it is spooky. Whereas the Cielo Drive residences, they changed their ad, you know, they changed the number on it. It's and they, you know, they they gated it. You can't get anywhere near it. Um, so that that's sort of a different place. But hers, she because she's lesser known, obviously is still pretty intact so for any true crime fans you can check that out <laughs> that's good i mean because it's yeah was it a little creepy was it a little creepy going to the place knowing all that stuff no doing that research were you yeah. a little nervous to be there 
Yeah, I was a little nervous. Uh, The first time I was out there, I actually had one of the actors who was playing uh, one of the older version of Susan Atkins and You Are Perfect. And, you know, the irony is that this actress, Nancy Wolf, was in the the TV um, Helter Skelter TV, you know, show from 1976. And she had never gone up there. I mean, she played Susan Atkins in Helter Skelter and she'd never gone up there. So she went up there now in her 70s playing an older version of the character. And was and she said, like, you know, walking up, it was like the gate opened and a car pulled out just as she was there. And she was terrified. So she ran into a porta potty to hide. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but I, anyway, I get it. Yeah, I would be nervous, too. It's freaky stuff. And then you have to worry, you know, when you're writing these stories about or, you know, inspired by real people, are they going to like come after us? And, you know, I mean, I mean, I guess, you know, luckily, Charles Manson is now dead and and Robert Durst, you know, who who is, you know, plays a big role in the inspiration for this play Broken Story just died recently. And I I rest better at night knowing that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So tell us a little bit about, tell Mm -hmm. us about Broken Story. Tell us about this play. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I mean, you're Um, an inspiration for it, but like, mm -hmm. how did you like, where did you dive into this? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to, to to have sort of like, I get sort of very intrigued by certain subjects. And I happened to watch the documentary, The Jinx, um, you know, a few years ago. And I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't get the, 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 the idea of this, this, this woman who was supposedly best friends with this person. The fact that somebody you think is your bet, you know, you're so close to, First of all, I was surprised that she could even be that close to somebody who had was known for all these, you know, serial murders and so on and so forth, and that she would want to be that close to somebody like that. But then but then the fact that she was and the fact that she trusted this person to the degree that they could come into her home and murder her or, you know, at least potentially murder her at that time. It wasn't we were 100 percent sure it was him, but probably, you know, obviously, um, that I, I couldn't I, I was just became sort of obsessed with that. And then I started researching her and the fact that she was a mobster's daughter. And, you know, she basically grew up around, you know, Davy, Davy, um, Davy Berman, who, you know, worked with Bugsy Siegel in Las Vegas. And I mean, it seemed like her more moral code was totally, you know, different from the average person. And, that you know, her father was a hitman, so to speak. So so maybe there was some connection to that. And then the more I dug into her story, I sort of became obsessed with the whole thing. What might have happened? What could have happened? You know, what happened that night? You know, how 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 could how would it play out? And then I started imagining things. And that's where the, the, the fictional character of Broken Story, the journalist, comes into play. She becomes obsessed with the story. And then um, the more she digs into it, it starts to go more away from that story she's investigating to her own personal you know, she learns more about herself, I think, in the process of, of of investigating this this murder than she does about the actual murder, and it becomes more of a self-discovery type of story. Um, That's a very and, interesting approach because it's like yeah. it's kind of a Rorschach. The way you respond to violence, kind of like you know your character responding mm-hmm. to being around violence as seen violence mm-hmm. as normalized and as a part of people's careers. Do you right. feel that like you know your approach with this was that playing into it? Like, are your is your own psyche of how you're responding to this violence, infiltrating into the, the piece. 
I think so. I mean, you know, in both of my pieces, I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to take as much of a humanitarian, humanitarian approach as possible. So I'm not like painting a picture of like, this is bad and this is good. And, you know, the murderer is evil. I'm more interested in getting behind the psychology of what makes people do what they do, you know? So I, I hope that in, in my piece, even though, you know, obviously one of the, the characters is potentially a, a, a murderer, I'm still trying to get to what might have brought that on you know where did that come from why did this person decide to do the things that they did and and sim similarly with the violence of you know the woman who seems to be comfortable you know dancing with dancing with the devil dancing with a cobra whatever it is she there's something i think that excites her about it and i think i think that's something that we we excites us too i mean as as audience members as viewers as storytellers i mean there, there's got to be a reason why we're all obsessed with these crime stories right because there's something fascinating and exciting. And then there's also something in ourselves that maybe we think, my gosh, that that could be me. I mean, anybody's capable of doing these kinds of things, it's, you know, and, and and if we put if we separate ourselves from them, it's like saying, well, these these are just, you know, they're not human beings. They're I don't know what they are. They're, you know, goblins or whatever, but they're not. They're people. They're people who may have had bad experiences in life. They might suffer from mental illness, whatever it is. You know, it's it's um, it could be any of us. So um looking and investigating all those aspects for me is, is fascinating. Oh, yes, absolutely fascinating. I mean, I think that is such a way to like bring it in. I think this is gonna, one of the reasons it's going to connect with people is because mm -hmm. I think that is how most people approach true crime and they approach mm -hmm. unsavory stories from history. Because this play opened in uh, New York in 2019, if I am correct. Correct, mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> a, mm -hmm. a completely different world. But exactly. <laughs> was it always the plan to bring it here to L.A.? I mean, yes, it was. I mean, I mean, maybe not when we first put it on in New York, but I remember when we you know, when we finished the run in New York, it was a shorter run. Unfortunately, the price of producing theater in New York, I mean, the price of theaters has been it's even worse now, in, oh. you know, two years later with the pandemic. But. But I remember when we were finished, we felt like we were just getting started. You know, the, the team felt like they were just getting started. We had this gorgeous set. I mean, this beautiful, it's like an installation set of broken pieces. And the designer turned to me and he said, you know, Cindy, we got to take this on the road. He's like, let's go to Chicago. I said, no, 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 we got to go to Los Angeles. This is a Los <laughs> Angeles story. One of the actors in the piece who I mentioned earlier is the co-founder plays the, the editor of the newspaper that the young journalist is trying to break the story. And he was really excited about the idea of, of doing a play out there. And um, so we were going to do it with about, within about, I'd say, eight months of when we did the New York production. We jumped right on it while it was fresh. I was doing some rewrites of some things that I learned based on the New York, you know, the audience's response that I wanted to make clearer in the piece. And, and we were ready to go. And then COVID hit and everything, you know, the set designer has been had this thing in his closet, you know, in his uh, storage unit. <laughs> For two years, he's driving this set across the country. He's oh leaving God. on Thursday and driving this set all the way. He's never, he's from Albania and he's never driven across the country. We keep telling him, you need to, you need to allow more than two to three days, Andis. You're going to, you may not make it in time, you know? So he's going to be driving day and night to bring that, that, um, that set out there. But, um, but the world has changed. You're absolutely right. And even, even the context of the story has changed because in 2019, uh, Bobby Durst was still alive and he hadn't been convicted of Susan Berman's murder. So there was th there were still a lot of, you know, unanswered questions about it that I think have been a little bit more clarified. But nevertheless, I think that that still completely works for for a broken story, because because, as I said, it's not really a whodunit. It, you know, there's a murder mystery element to it, but it's there's fiction as well and imaginings of what could or might have happened. And um, 
And in the end, it's not really about who the murderer is. It's more about the, the, the personal journey that the journalist takes. Mm. So I, it's not, if you're looking for clue, it's not clue. You know, and that was <laughs> one of the, that was one of the things we learned from the New York audience is that we had to, we had to set that up a little better because we don't want people coming in thinking, okay, is it, is it, is it, is, you know, is it Professor Plum? Is it so-and-so? That's, that's not really the point of, that's not really, that's not really the point of the story. I mean, there's suspense in the story, but it's, we kind of already sort of know who the murderer probably is anyway. So if we're coming in to find that out, it's not going to be that satisfying, I don't think. <laughs> I would imagine. And I wonder if that's also because it's a New York audience here in LA, Durst is like such a synonymous name, yes. the zeitgeist. Yes. And I wonder, you know, an L.A. crowd, I imagine it's going to click maybe a little bit faster. I would think so. And also, especially since it's been in the news so much recently, right, with the with the whole trial and everything. The thing in the, with the New York audience is that we didn't really, um, you know, we didn't really talk up the, the Durst, um, the Durst inspiration or the involvement in it. We were just sort of letting people absorb the play for what it was. And, um, and I think people, and we, and, and it might've also been our own mistake in marketing. We were really marketing it as a murder mystery and there is a murder element to it. I mean, you, you, you can be on, there are twists and turns and all that sort of thing, but it's, it's at the end of the day, it's not a whodunit, you know, it's, it's, it, it, that's, that's just the premise that gets the ball rolling and then it turns into something more dramatic and, and personal, mm. I think. So, hey, um, that sounds right. I mean, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of shows here, and I've seen some shows that are based on true stories. I've written some shows that are based on true mm. stories, and mm -hmm. there's always that balance of the entertainment, fact, fiction, somewhere exactly. kind of in between. And mm -hmm. uh, how do you balance that? Was that a particular challenge for you, or did you find it was more? It was just more finding where to aim, and less of a challenge of how do I do this in terms of a uh, entertainment value. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. You know, I mean, I definitely set out not to write a documentary. I'm not I'm not intending this for, for to be fact at all. I mean, it, it, with you are perfect. It was more I mean, it wasn't a documentary, but it was more true to what really happened because obviously the characters were Susan Atkins and Charles Manson in this piece. Um, the characters have fictional names, there's fictional elements to them. I mean, they're not, and there's actually two characters that are completely fictional. So it was, it was meant, it was never really meant to be an actual, you know, this is what happened. It was more, more to be sort of like, you know, starting with that point and then creating a piece of fiction that's sort of inspired by it and thinking, well, what if it had gone this way? Or what if, what if it might've gone that way? And sort of imagining um, what, what could have possibly happened, you know, cause um it's not telling the exact story for what it was. And it's not even meant to, it's not really meant to, it's sort of like we're, we're investigating one story and then we end up telling another, going into another one. So I want to make that clear because if people are coming just to get sort of like a, you know, a bioptic or a, you know, that, that that's not what this is. Not at all. That makes no sense. I think, yeah, this, yeah. getting the word out <laughs> about that, I think people will catch on very quickly. And I, 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 so. I think that yeah. sounds very, for me, at least personally, that sounds like the approach I would want to take to this mm -hmm. story because you know I can watch the documentary. You know, if exactly. I'm going to play, I want to, you know, I want to feel exactly. The story. You want something different because you want something new, something you haven't seen before. Exactly. And so you know, you're yeah. you're over here in New York at the White Horse. Uh, you're mm -hmm. coming out here to L.A. Mm -hmm. There's kind of this, uh, I don't know, uh, sort of I don't want to say vibe, but kind of this maybe mis construed idea here in LA with a lot of the theater people that New York people kind of look down their nose at LA theater. And it's like, I know we were talking beforehand and mm -hmm. you're so excited to come out here, but what are the differences between LA and New York uh, 
theater producing and putting on a show between the two cities. Sure. Well, the things I've observed, again, I only did one other show in, in California and it was only, we only ran for about a week and a half and it was in, in, in Hollywood, not in North Hollywood. But um, the, 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 the feelings that I'm sort of picking up on or that I'm noticing so far is, I mean, actors in LA are very big on film. I mean, not that they're not big on film in New York, they are, but, but most theater actors in New York are devoted to just theater. That's like their priority. Um, I just know that from the rehearsal schedule, we've been having to like, you know, make time to allow the actors to make sure they can do their film auditions and whatever. And that's, that's, you know, that's expected because LA is a, a you know, a, a movie town. But, but the thing that I'm also noticing that I'm really excited about is what, what I was mentioning to you before we started the interview is the, is this commute, the sense of community mm -hmm. um, of like this tight knit. I know LA is spread out, um, but I still feel like at least in the North Hollywood area that there's this sort of like, um, you know, like this area that's consol consolidated with a bunch of small theaters and they, you know, they, they share resources. And, and I feel like the community that's around them, like the printing shops, everything, the prices are so conducive to, you know, artists that want to try out new work or experiment. And it reminds me of what New York City used to be. I mean, it used to be when I was, you know, right out of college. I mean, even more so probably in the 60s and 70s, but that downtown, you know, village art scene like La Mama and, you know, the Gene Frankel and, you know, those small spaces that down, you know, those, those, you know, Judson's church and all that, which are kind of vanishing because of, you know, the, the real estate situation in New York, which the pandemic has made even worse. I mean, just to give you an example, when we rent theaters in New York City, we used to used to be before the pandemic about 3,500 a week. Now they're about 5,000 a week. And that's just for a small little black box of like, you know, 60, 75 seats. Oh my gosh. And, and in LA, I mean, we're getting, we're able to run this show a month for like about 3,000, you know, $3,000. So it's, oh it's, it's, it, it, there's no comparison to run the same show for a month in New York. It would cost us, I mean, you know, 20 grand almost, you know? So it's, um, it's to me that's the the thing that I'm really excited about in LA is that it's it's still offering its artists you know its theater artists and its independent artists a, a, you know an affordable way to experiment and you know try new things and new writers and without having to spend so much money I mean because you're not going to make it back at the box office there's no way you can you can't be charging those prices and if you did nobody would come anyway so right. <laughs> you know so I mean to me to me as a producer my producer hat is like I love producing in LA because so far the the you know I mean the cost of, of doing and of you know putting a show on are way more reasonable and and the community itself just seems to be more supportive so um, yeah. you know, I, I crazy, you know, but... as someone I've never lived in New York, obviously, since I've chosen in New York, but um, someone who lives in the North Hollywood area, absolutely, it is, um, it is kind of everything is just about making the next thing, whether that's a play or a short film or mm -hmm. a low budget feature. There's that sense of community that I can walk down anywhere in the neighborhood and I'll run into somebody that I know. Uh, shout out to NoHo Copy. Uh, the print shop. Yeah, and, yeah, they're, they're amazing. I'm, I'm <laughs> using them too. The price, I couldn't believe it. I was like, great. <laughs> they're like, they're and they, they remember almost everyone. Which is, if you come in more than like two or three times, they will know who you are that's going great. forward. And that's and that's fantastic. just right. I think it's, it's fantastic. To, I'm not used to that almost anywhere else in the city. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I and I'm 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 excited because I'm planning to when I go, you know, to see as many shows as I can when I'm not involved with my own. 
Um, I've already been reading about a bunch and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what, you know, what kind of pieces are being made and, you know, how, how the artists are. But I do, I do, I do hope that I, you know, when I come back to New York, I'll be able to say, you know, LA has great theater. It's a theater town. I mean, it, it, you know, it may not be Broadway, but believe me, Broadway is not, is not everything. I mean, Broadway <laughs> is commercial theater. It's not necessarily always art. It's not, you know, and it's certainly not as edgy and as experimental as, you know, off off Broadway and indie theater, the downtown New York art scene, which has really been hit hard by the pandemic and was already, you know, spaces vanishing. I mean, in, in the city of New York, there's just very few places left where artists can affordably put their shows on. So we'll have to all come to LA, I guess. We'll just pack it all up and we'll all come out. <laughs> we can use a good breath, so I say all four. Now, yeah. speaking of coming to see this, where, where is Broken Story playing? And how yes. can we get tickets for this? It is playing at the um, Sherry Theater on Magnolia Boulevard. That's uh, 11052 Magnolia, Magnolia Boulevard in um, NoHo. And you can, there's two ways to get tickets. You can either go right onto the ticketing site on stage411.com, which I also would like to say is an amazing site. I yes. mean, we need a site like that in New York, the way that they support you know, the artists. They have all the services and the blast and everything. It's great. And another place you can go is just directly to our website, which is whitehorsetheater.com more information about the show and our company on there and a direct link to uh, purchase tickets. Fantastic. Yes. And the Sherry Theater, uh, for people here in LA who've never been, it's great. It's right there in the big hub of North Hollywood. It, it, there's so many bars and restaurants that are within walking distance. You want to go before or after the show. I'm almost always down to Magnolia right by the <laughs> Sherry because, uh, you know, I'm from DC. I also lived in Cincinnati for about 10 years. My parents oh. live there. So there's a bar there, the 513 bar. <laughs> They did not pay me. I'm not endorsed by them, but it's a okay. bar. And, uh, you know, we go there, especially last year when the Bengals went on like this crazy run. It was a great place to be. So it's a it's a nice area and affordable. Mm -hmm. it's yes, <laughs> it seems that way. And the Sherry, too. I want to give a shout out to them because they're also part of what's giving me the impression of how welcoming to artists they are. I mean, they they offer really affordable rehearsal space so you can actually rehearse in the theater. I mean, that, that would never happen in, in New York City. Never. And I mean, they just seem to be willing to, you know, try to accommodate whatever we need in order to be successful with the show. So I really, I really appreciate that. We've had a great experience with them so far. They're really good. I've worked with them yeah. before. I uh, I wrote a play, but part of one of their 24 hour um, play festivals uh -huh. and uh, just so well run, really clean, really good mm -hmm. facility and like, and also a really good space, you know, it's, it's oh, good yeah. sound and everything. Beautiful space right on the street with a nice lobby a bathroom for the patrons, which is a big deal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the, the theaters in New York City, half the time, they, they're not even theaters. They're like, I don't know, old, you know, office space that's been converted and there's only one bathroom that everybody has to use. So the Sherry is a dream. We're, we're really excited to be, to be working there. Well, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited that you're coming here to LA and that's a broken story at the Sherry Theater. And when is your opening night? Our opening, our official opening night is Saturday, November 5th, but we're also having a special preview on Friday, November 4th with a reception afterwards so, so that you can meet and greet everybody. So we encourage everybody to come out. Looking forward to uh, to seeing everyone. Well, fantastic. Well, Sydney, thank you so much for being here on the program. Thank I really you. appreciate having you. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you. It's been fun. Of course. And uh, <laughs> everyone, please keep continuing supporting the arts here in Los Angeles. Thank you for your continued support of LA Theater Bites and helping us 
get these interviews and get reviews out to you about what's happening here in our city. Uh, we'll be with some new reviews and a couple new interviews coming this later this month. Until then, thank you so much for listening.